I remember in one of our book club meetings, we talked about the word attitude because it's not what most people would assume. It's mm-hmm. just don't let them be neutral. So let them have their biases. Part of the reason why I think the voice works so well here is because Marcellus notices different things, pays attention to different things. And Tova's, you know, the one talking about her back popping and things that only Tova would say or think about, right? Right. Sure, Cameron's right. chapters are the same. So it's more just let that person be that person and lean into it. Hey there, welcome back to Lit Match, a podcast made to help writers find the best literary agent and business partner for their writing career by learning how to blend business with passion. I'm Abigail Perry, a book coach and certified developmental editor who is eager to help you learn how to master the writing and query process, as well as understand the publishing business, specifically how traditional publishing works and what to expect as a career author. In some of these episodes on Lip Match, we take a deep dive analysis of first chapters in order to understand what really makes the first pages of a novel stand out. And this is an incredibly important skill that a writer needs to have if they're going to query a literary agent or publish books in general, because of course, the first pages hook the reader and hook the agent. If you've been around my podcast for a while, then you probably have heard some of these first chapter deep dive episodes with my friend and book coach and developmental editor, the wonderful Savannah Gilbo. She is here again with me today in order to take a deep dive of the first pages to one of my favorite books that I read last year, Remarkably Bright Creatures by Shelby Van Pelt. In order to do this, we look at how the first pages set up big picture expectations for the story and the writing. And then we zero in and we look at the scene structure and assess how the scene shows change from beginning to end and therefore piques our interest into reading the next chapter. With all this in mind, I hope that you have your notepads out today because we have a great discussion for you, and let's get into it. Hi, Savannah. Thanks so much for joining me today. I'm super excited because we love doing analysis together, and now we're going into up market territory, which is something that I love. And this is a book that I picked and that I've read, but you haven't read. And I've done this with a couple of writers and authors and other book coaches now on how to analyze when someone has read the full book versus when someone hasn't read the book. And it's come out with some really cool accusations and analysis tips. So I'm really excited to do this with you. I'm excited too. And it's so fun because this is not necessarily a book I would pick up based on the back cover just because it's not Nothing wrong with the book, of course, just because it's not normally the style I'm drawn to. But it was a really fun experience to read the first chapter and kind of mini introduction. I don't know if we're going to call it a prologue in disguise or what, but we'll get there. But yeah, it's an interesting feeling coming in, not having all of the answers. Mm-hmm. So we'll see how that goes. But it should be well, really, really funny. Uh, you know, just kind of like side tip for the listeners, because when I had proposed this one and you're like, wait, is it the one with, with the woman and the octopus? And I was like, <laughs> yes, that is the one I'm talking yeah. about. So there's, you know, I think just conceptually, I haven't really seen anything like this. I love animal narrators and there is an animal narrator in this and it's done really well. I think you either nail it or you don't when you have an animal narrator, but I love it in this and it makes it really unique. So you talked about that first, you know, I would probably call it a prologue in disguise 
size, if not just like an introduction to Marcellus the octopus. Yeah. So we should we should talk about that first, because I think that that is a really important part of introducing the story, even though it's not what we're going to analyze deeply, because I don't think that there's a scene there. Did you think that there was a scene in that? I did not. It just feels like we're meeting Marcellus, like you said, and getting a feel for his voice. I did think there was some really cool elements to it. So the, the very first line, darkness suits me. I love that. And then he's he's kind of explaining to us that he lives in a tank. He lived in the sea. He was captured and imprisoned. His name's Marcellus. So he's telling us all this. He's normally referred to as that guy by people looking into his tank. And he's basically telling us that he's a pretty smart fella, even though he's an octopus. Some other things, too. He gets nicknames from humans. He's just kind of giving us the lay of the land. But what I really liked is the end of this intro to him. It Mm -hmm. says, I must advise that our time together may be brief. The plaque states one additional piece of information. The average lifespan of a giant Pacific octopus, four years. My lifespan, four years, 1,460 days. I was brought here as a juvenile. I shall die here in this tank. At the very most, 160 days remain until my sentence is complete. So that's our intro to Marcellus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely picking up on really important pieces of Marcellus's voice, first of all, as well as what he pays attention to. Just step back quickly, real quick, just to in case people, in case listeners don't know the book, Remarkably Bright Creatures. That is what we're analyzing. So it's Remarkably Bright Creatures by Shelby Van Pelt. And essentially, what this story is about is the main character is going to be Tova Sullivan. And she is a 70 year old woman who works as a cleaner at an aquarium. And she had a son, Eric, who went missing. It was, you know, dubbed a suicide, but she never really believed that was fully a suicide out. They found his body had fallen off of a boat years back when he was younger and, you know, like a late teenager. And he was an 18, I think he was 18 when it happened. So she has this mystery of what happened to her son. And then you're also going to meet another character who is going to come into play. His name's Cameron, and he's going to wind up in Seattle in search of his parents. So he's looking for his father. He knows who his mother is, but he he doesn't know who his father is. So you have that going on. And then throughout all of this, you have the point of view of Marcellus. And Marcellus will come in and out of uh, his own chapters. But it's really interesting because it creates a lot of dramatic irony later in the story, specifically around the midpoint. Marcellus picks up on something really important. And just as, you know, full disclosure to listeners, probably spoilers will come out in, in this analysis. Because I think it's going to help us see why the opening pages do a really great job at introducing important key concepts of the story, as well as the characters. So just as a quick summary of that. So those were the things that you were drawn to from Marcellus's point of view. Did you like his voice overall? I did. And I just felt sad the whole time I was reading it. Basically, I am an animal lover, so Mm -hmm. I don't think he's in captivity. But also the words that he used, like I was captured and imprisoned. And then at the end where he says 160 days remain until my sentence is complete. Yeah. So it just feels heavy. It does. Yeah. And what I think is really brilliant about this, and this is all captured in about a page and a half. If you have the printed version, I don't know what the ebook version would be. Yeah, it's Um, about the same. Okay, so it's about a page and a half. So it's not a full scene, like we said. We're not looking for we're not looking for a value shift when we are introduced to Marcellus. But what it does an excellent job at is introducing us a key point of view in this story and how it's going to help unravel this mystery. At the same time, it is putting a time clock on the table with that. So it's like you know, it's not guaranteed that he only has that much time left until his death. 
but he very much believes that he's going to die in this aquarium. And you learn like later in the story that he was rescued after being severely injured by these eels. So you learn that he was injured. They took him in, but then he never went back to the ocean and he desperately longs for freedom. So Mm -hmm. he definitely uses numbers as a way of counting down his sentence. Like that's like you can see like all the words, all the diction that he's using there show his disdain for being trapped in captivity, right? Yeah. And it's interesting because he's like talking about the humans. They sometimes share their experience with the visitors and they're like, see him back there. He's a special guy. And he's like a special guy indeed. Like (laughs) humans, you know? Yeah. Which is one of my favorite things that I love about him, though, because this is in you are reading lessons in chemistry now, which I know. So I that's another one that I love. And 630 is a point of view in that story. And it's a dog's perspective. Mm -hmm. And I think one thing that I really love when there are animal perspectives, I'm also an animal lover, is when people underestimate animals and animals call them out for that. So, you know, this is Marcellus straightforward that he's not he's blunt and blatant and very much you know, kind of knocking down uh, a human's ignorance and underestimating his intelligence, even though they claim he is a remarkably bright creature. Well, and Uh, I think it's cool that he's not neutral. He has a strong opinion and he's got feelings and he's going to tell us. Absolutely. And I think that's really important for the first person pronouns that we're using here too, because when you have first person, you need a strong attitude. So he is very observant and does state his opinion. At the same time, one thing that's very interesting about this is he addresses the reader with you, like, who am I, you ask? And I haven't seen that a lot. And I think he does this very naturally, though, because you feel like he's telling you the story directly, right? Well, and what's also interesting is if we think about him in his tank alone, he probably muses to himself like this. Yeah. So I can I can totally imagine him just kind of being like, who am I, you ask? Just because he's bored and he's alone and he's in captivity. So I think, yeah, yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's awesome. Okay. So that's really cool about just introducing us to Marcellus and how Marcellus is going to be this key narrator in the story and companion really to Tova, who is going to be the main human protagonist. And that's who we open up with in this first chapter. So, you know, as per our usual first chapter analysis episodes, we will analyze the opening pages of the story in order to look at the big picture with the seven key first chapter questions, as well as the scene structure, which the I'll call it now the first chapter does with the five commandments coming from StoryGrid and Robert McKee, along with some other, you know, prerequisite questions that we go over in order to understand like character want and things that are important in order to see how the commandments challenge that. So in the first chapter, it's called the Silver Dollar Scar. And that's where we're starting right now. So for me, it starts on page three. And I'm calling that now the official first chapter, even though technically it would appear as a second chapter because we don't have Marcellus's point of view labeled as prologue, but I'm calling it a prologue in disguise. Yeah. And in this first chapter, the person that we follow is Tova Sullivan. So Tova Sullivan is a seven-year-old woman who I've mentioned works as a cleaner at this aquarium called Puget Sound in Seattle. And she spends her nights cleaning. She has a lot of details where she talks about certain things that she you can tell she's very OCD with her cleaning. She's exceptional at her job. 
She brings her own products in, a combination of lemon and oil, sort of things like that, because she likes that scent a lot more. You learn some backstory, like her son, who is no longer in her life because he's dead, as well as her husband, who you suspect has, has passed away from cancer. And one of the, the reasons why she's carrying this different cleaning product is because of the smell that irritated her in the hospital. So when she comes in, she's cleaning. She admits that this is something to do. And there's really great description that will describe things like how her back pops when she comes up, when she stands up at one point and echoes down the hallway. And it's maybe not something that she needs to do, but you can tell that she's occupying herself. As she's going through the aquarium, she addresses very kindly all of the sea creatures. She passes the eels and doesn't really love the eels, but still gives them a courteous smile. But her favorite is Marcellus. And Marcellus is the octopus and is blending into his environment. Meanwhile, Tova is really focused in and zeroed in on cleaning up this one wad of gum that she's trying to pick up. And eventually she sees Marcellus has escaped his, his tank and he's stuck behind the vending machine. So she goes over, she helps, she unplugs the cord, she gets Marcellus out from his wedged-in corner and gets him back in his tank, and he looks a little more peakish than he did before. She finishes up cleaning for the night and heads home. So it's a pretty straightforward chapter with action, mm -hmm. but there's a lot of really important setups and details in the description that I think, you know, brings us closer to the characters as well as some major plot points that are going to build as you go into the story itself. Yeah. So now what we're going to do is we're going to look at this first chapter and maybe we'll take into consideration Marcellus's opening voice as well as we enter these seven key first chapter questions. And these come from Paul Minet's The Writer's Guide to Beginnings. And the first of these deals with genre. So the question is, what kind of story is it? And just as a reminder, when Savannah and I are talking about genre, we categorize it in two different ways. Content genre, the type of story that this is, you know, in order to satisfy reader expectations versus commercial genre, how this would be marketed. So what did you think this was, Savannah? Earlier, you had mentioned that we're in upmarket territory. I do agree. As far as content genre, I wasn't quite sure based on the opening, which was a really fun thought exercise for me because I'm like, okay, what do I pick up on? If I'm just an average reader coming to this, I've read the back cover copy. I read Marcellus's first chapter and I've read Tova's first chapter, right? Mm -hmm. So I know from the back cover copy, there's a little bit of a mystery element. I would say my gut is saying that's not the primary uh, genre of the story. My other thought was there's obviously some death stakes for Marcellus, but I don't know how I would feel about classifying that as action. So I might put that to the side. And then the third place I went was this is kind of a meet cute scene when Tova and Marcellus meet. So I wondered if it was going to be more about their friendship and kind of framed in more of like a love story genre. And that's kind of where my thought process ended. Okay. So super interesting. Yes. Upmarket is book club fiction is what I would categorize this yeah. as commercially. You know, it, it does. And when I say upmarket, it's really that baby between literary and commercial. So you can tell on the line level that there is a lot of sophistication with the voice. It's an extremely strong voice for each character. We're in first person for Marcellus, which we'll get into with point of view. And then you have third person for, for other bits. But really, the line level is exceptional. And then in addition, there is still plot, though, that is working with character. So right. it's not undervaluing plot. And what you're pulling out here, which we'll get into plot in the second question, 
it's interesting to hear what you pulled out as potential options for content genre. I would say that the main content genre for the story, first and foremost, is probably going to deal more with a worldview story. And it's going to be this internal arc, but the internal arc can only work if it is challenged by external plot lines. Yeah. And you really have pulled out the three that I think are the big ones. So Yeah, and that's, you know, interesting you say worldview because from this, I think I could go two avenues. One with Marcellus mm -hmm. is maybe he's not the biggest fan of humans. So maybe mm -hmm. that's what's going to change. And for Tova, I wouldn't know what to say if you asked me what is her starting worldview that's going to change. Yeah. So what, like, what would you say is so her I think worldview? I think when we go with worldview, I think a lot of it is that, well, she's an elderly woman who has had to take care of herself for a long time. Right. Yeah. And also she is grieving because she lost her son all those years ago. So as she goes forward, you'll see that she has a lot of friends and, you know, she'll make comments about how her friends have other options in their life because they have children. So, you know, they they can be taken care of eventually by their children. And you'll notice in the first pages in this first chapter that she does make some sort of reference to, you know, this is the, is this how it starts when she starts to see Marcellus and she's like, you know, right. is this hallucinating? So you can tell that age is something that she is conscientious of. Right. And not necessarily allowing it to pull her down in life. But I think she is aware I'm getting older and I'm getting tired. Right. And which is really interesting comparing that to Marcellus, who's like, I have 160 days left. And and they're both very solace in yeah. their lives. Like they, you know, they very much do stick to themselves. Yeah. So there is absolutely a friendship and even so a protective friendship between the two of them, especially created based on this scene where she rescues him. Right. So there is that going on with the worldview. Back to your question, I actually think I would categorize this more as like a worldview revelation arc because what you're going to move towards is the in the climactic moment she's going to learn the truth and this is a huge spoiler you've been warned <laughs> yeah it's like this is the climax of the story so Marcellus is going to help her discover that Cameron this boy who comes searching for his father in Seattle is actually her grandson so she is not alone in the world with okay. family and I think that a lot of her arc is through this friendship with Marcellus. And because of it, she comes to know the truth that she is not, you know, she's not without family, that she does have a grandson and they're going to have this life together in the end, which is a really beautiful art. And it, I yeah. think like a big part of this is that going through the story, the mystery component is huge. And that's even like when you look at the back cover, that's what they're pitching it as. That's right. Really the hook factor of it, right, is that there's this mystery. I'll just read it even. Toba Sullivan's husband died. She began working the night shift at the Seoul Bay Aquarium, mopping floors and tidying up. Keeping busy has always helped her cope, which she's been doing since her 18-year-old son, Eric, mysteriously vanished on a boat in Puget Sound over 30 years ago. So I think that's really what's being pitched as the huge hook of the story is this right. friendship between an octopus and an elderly woman. But I think that that is the external plot line that hooks us, yeah. right? That's fun because where my brain went towards the relationship a little more too, and, and I started thinking before you said what the end was going to be, that maybe they would find meaning in their last days together. But it's more like they're 
I mean, they probably are, right? But she's also finding meaning through the information he delivers to her mm-hmm. via mm-hmm. who Cameron is. So right. I could definitely see, based on all that, the worldview being a big part of it. Yeah. And also there's this spot that says at 70 years old, they don't expect her to do such deep cleaning, but she must at least try. Besides, mm-hmm. it's something to do. Yeah. So like clearly she needs something to have. She needs to find some kind of meaning for her existence. She's just buying time. And it's like, it's not that she doesn't have friends. She's a very likable person. Yeah. A a lot of people like her. Like, I don't think there's anyone really who doesn't like her. Yeah. And I think that for her, though, she's still lonely. Yeah. So it's, you know, she's lived in the same house all her life and well, the same house with her husband and son. And then even after her son, like then it was her and her husband. So you know, that's part of it too, is like, how much longer can she do this on her own? Yeah. And I think that what's, when I go to worldview as the content, it's, it's something that I've seen a lot in these upmarket stories. And it's that the thread that holds everything together is really tied to the emotional journey. So emotionally, like what is this character going through and how is what she lacking emotionally going to be filled by the end? Yeah. And through that, there's not necessarily even one, although I try to you know, encourage writers to pick one dominant external genre. There, a lot of the times there will be at least two, if not three external threads yeah. that continually challenge the internal story. But if I were to plot out what are the major moments in the story, maybe one of them, like in this scene, right, like the, as an opening image, how are we seeing Tova in her opening image? We get senses that she's lonely, right? We get yeah. senses that she's old. And what is challenging that is when she's going to start to have this bond with Marcellus. So there's that friendship story. But that friendship story might not necessarily always take precedence in other key scenes. Right. Uh, You know, like the mystery might be more of a storyline. But realistically, like Tova isn't looking for what happened to her son. So it's not that heavy of it. We're not on a crime case here, right? She doesn't believe that her son committed suicide, but she doesn't think it's foul play, right? And she's probably at the stage where she's like, what am I going to do about this? I can't really do anything. And he died when he was 18. You know, it was like years and years and years ago. So it's kind of just one of those things where she's been grieving with it. So with all of that, it's this area of the mystery is something that becomes essential to her filling the lack in her life, which I think is loneliness and feeling like she's, you know, kind of like Marcellus in the sense that we're just counting time down now. Right. Speaking of the loneliness, because I see writers sometimes like they'll try to set up their character, whether they're lonely, depressed, whatever that kind of more negative feeling vibe is. Uh They do it in a way that's not quite effective. And I think this version of a lonely character is effective. And we see that she's lonely by the way she interacts with the animals and what she notices. Because she notices things that someone who's got a full life is probably not going to take the time to notice. Yes, absolutely. And I think that's really important because I do think especially I really love stories with grief. I think I gravitate Mm -hmm. towards those stories more than any other story. And there's a big difference between a character, especially if you're in first person, you can go into the edge of redundant or whiny. And just because we're so focused on the depression and while that's realistic, it's not driving a plot forward. Right. Right. And and Tova, like I am not 70, so you know, immediately it's not going to be super easy for me to relate to her, but the way that they've, that the author has painted her, I do relate to her. And I don't think she's mopey. I think she's a very likable character that just so happens to be lonely. I relate to her big time because of her love of animals. So Uh I think she pulled it off really well. Yeah. And I'd say whiny. I'm not trying to be like negative with that either. No, but it is, it it comes off as whiny, right? right? 
And Tova's not that way, though. Like She's kind of the opposite in the sense of, well, I'm not going to allow myself to sit around and mope. Yeah. Right? And she's like, I'm going to do something about this. And she notices the quiet things that most people don't. And I think that makes her really likable. Yes. I, th- I think that her appreciation and treatment of the sea creatures in general just makes her a really sympathetic character. Yeah. So that's where I went. I was probably going to prioritize the worldview story. And with that, if I were to analyze this and break this down on a, you know, key plot level, which moved to the second question, I'd probably be looking for how the three main external genres that you pulled out, the mystery and, you know, friendship kind of almost love story, but not romantic love and the impending death. Yes, the impending death, the action. And the action is the most subtle of them because it's not action that you're facing in a life or death threatening way. It's the inevitability of death with age. So that's where it's like, it's, it's definitely there. It's a stake, but it's not, it's not the same. You know, we're not, we're not in an Avengers movie here and having a life and death action. (laughs) Avengers with octopus. (laughs) You know, I think it's cool though, because like I said, I had no idea other than the first uh, few pages I read in the back cover copy. Mm -hmm. And through that, I was able to pull out those things that you said are are accurate, right? So this author has done a great job dropping the clues to what type of story is coming, even if we had no context yeah. for everything else. And that's what, you know, we, the character that we don't meet in this first chapter that is another major point of view is Cameron. And his is a worldview maturation arc where he's dealing with a lack of sophistication. He has been someone who really has lacked parental guidance in his life. He has his aunt who has been there for him and supported him. But in general, his, I mean, his his mother is a drug addict and out of her, out of his life. And he's never even known or heard of his father. He has no idea who his father is. So you see in the very beginning when we meet him, there's a breakup with his girlfriend and his girlfriend's basically telling him he needs to go grow up. And he is very likable because he is not someone that you really see as overly immature, but you can see that there's a lack of uh, following through maybe in his life. And, you know, can you blame him? He's had no really guidance his entire life. So I think what you like about him is that he's setting out on his journey. He really believes that this guy named Simon is his father. And he's he travels to Seattle to try to find him and ends up getting a job as Tova's replacement cleaner until she heals from an injury that she has. And they start to bond over that. So really like their relationship starts to become something that is, you know, explored and comes to fruition through the plot events, but they're really on their own arcs in their own way, which is cool. Yeah. And it's cool how they both, based on what you just said, they feel like they're both untethered or like unmoored, whatever word I'm looking for. And then kind of coming together gives them both an answer. Yeah. And that's kind of what's reinforcing the second question. The second question is dealing with plot. The question is, what is the story really about? And I would say this story is really about the friendship between an elderly woman and this octopus. At the same time, it's the finding of one another between a grandmother and a strange grandson. And the story is really about his pursuit of his biological father. So you can see like something like Cameron's story really is dealing a lot with the mystery arc intentionally. He is pursuing a mystery, right? Mm -hmm. And Tova is existing. So Tova is, she's going through her her everyday life. I think that she's dealing with questionings of, 
Is she getting too old to take care of herself and dealing with that? And at the same time, bonding with Marcellus and trying to protect Marcellus from ever getting too far into trouble because he likes to escape in Rome. <laughs> and Marcellus, his main arc is dealing with once he figures out that Toba and Cameron are related, his goal is to try to help Toba find out the truth because Toba is the only human that he really cares for. And eventually, like in a climactic moment, Tova rescues Marcellus from his tank and, you know, again, spoilers, but she rescues him from his tank because he, his replacement comes in the end because they know that he's dying and she wants him to breathe the ocean. So she, she gets, she helps him escape from his tank and she lets him loosen in the ocean for whatever many days he has left. Oh my gosh. Uh, And I'll tell you, it's so funny because I'm, I tend to be really sensitive about animals dying when like Mm -hmm. the story is more about them dying than like if it's a, I don't know, in a fantasy story, a random horse will die. Like that's sad, but it's not the main point of the story. Uh-huh. So anyway, I if I read the back cover copy and I got past that and I'm like, okay, I'm going to open this book. And then I read the first page or two where it's like, I have 160 days left. I might not finish the book because I can't handle that stuff. <laughs> well, it's, that's what's so beautiful about this is like, how is Marcellus finding meaning with I those know. days as well as Tova? And something really cool is because Tova becomes really Cameron's mentor. You know, yeah. at first it's helping with cleaning, but she has... She has a strong grasp on life and how to live it well and yeah, what is, nice. you know, what's acceptable and what's not. And she'll call Cameron out on things and helps really mentor him and guide him on how to be a more adult human being. <laughs> and that's what he's missed his whole life. So that's really cool. And then within that, you have Marcellus. And one of the things that really bonds Tova and Cameron is that Cameron is cleaning and he learns that Marcellus escapes the tank. And Terry, he's the manager of the aquarium. And Tova finds out that Cameron knows. And she's like, you cannot tell Terry. Like, because what there, because she's nervous what Terry will do to Marcellus. Yeah. And she's like, you can't tell him we have to protect him. So Cameron and Tova have this inside promise to make sure that Marcellus does his thing, but also is kept in secret of what he's doing. That's cute. Yeah, it's super cute. And then you really like Terry at the end, though, because you learn that Terry has like known all along that Marcellus (laughs) has been crawling around because he eats other animals. Oh, my God. Yeah. So they just let him do his thing. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yeah, he's a remarkably bright creature, right? Yeah. So I think that's really where we're going with the plot. And then the point of view is extremely important. That's the third question. Who is telling the story? I think this is, you know, this is paramount to how the whole story functions. And Marcellus is in this first person. And like you said, like he does address the reader. But I agree with you, Savannah, when you said that it's almost like he would talk to himself anyway. It's not like we're addressing in second person. It's really first person but this is probably how he talks all the time to himself, a loner, you know? Yeah. And I, I could just see him kind of making it's like he's like Tova, right? Making the best of a bad situation. And then when you go into the first chapter, you see that the majority of the novel is third person limited. Yeah. So we're dealing with third person limited with Tova and then we'll have third person limited with Cameron. So it's interesting. I'm curious what you think about that moving from first person with Marcellus to third person with Tova and Cameron. Do you think that that's a strategic move? What did you like or not like about that? I mean, I feel like it probably was strategic because we're grounded in Marcellus first where it's like we see things through his point of view and then we zoom out just a little bit where we're watching the people probably like Marcellus is watching the people. Yes. So yeah, I think it was, I, and it didn't bother me as a reader. I, it's I liked it. I thought it was pretty natural. 
Yeah, I thought it was too. And I'm just thinking because the other day in in one of my group calls, I said, like, we don't want to be switching point of view like this. Mm -hmm. And that person was asking about in a romance, can I have the one partner be first person and the other person be third person? And I felt like that was too hectic because of the equal weight in the story. Where here, it's like Marcellus is not going to be a big part of the weight, right? In the he's a, he's chapters, a big part of the dramatic irony, and I think that he gives us a unique factor of the story. But I would say, if I mean, I haven't clocked out percentages, but a yeah. heavy percentage of the story is going to be Tova and Cameron. Marcellus is interspersed between those chapters with short uh, and they're short pages, right? Yeah, and they're short. I mean, they're not all the same length, but they are. They're going to be scenes. He yeah. is going to have scenes versus like this first opening is a page and a half. They're going to be longer than that. Yeah. But I think that the majority of the time we're not in an aquarium, right? The majority yeah. of the time we're, we are, of course are spending time in the aquarium, but we're also out of it in exploring Tova and Cameron and their lives. Yeah. So, and something you said made me think of like, why, why something like if you're writing a romance and you want to just switch for the heck of switching, mm -hmm. it's like, that's not a deliberate choice, right? You're doing that because you just think it would be fun or it would like, you know, make the reading experience fun where this is done very deliberately to give us a certain experience. So mm -hmm. that's, I think, why it works. And this, I think is a testament to Shelby's writing abilities and that she keeps it third person limited with Tova and Cameron, but they clearly do have a distinct voice. The narrative voice comes through for each of those characters as effectively as Marcellus's voice comes yeah. through in first person. So that's really cool because one thing with first person limited that I'm always emphasizing is that the word they say is attitude. Like uh -huh. first person needs to have a really strong attitude. And I think that both Tova and Cameron have their own attitude, but it's just a little bit more distant, although third person limited in this way because it limits us in their perspective, still does feel very much like we're in their head because <laughs> right. we are. You know, we talked, I remember in one of our book club meetings, we talked about the word attitude because it's not what most people would assume. It's mm -hmm. just don't let them be neutral. So let them have their biases. Part of the reason why I think the voice works so well here is because Marcellus notices different things, pays attention to different things. And Tova's, you know, the one talking about her back popping and things that only Tova would say or think about, right? Right. Sure. Cameron's right. chapters are the same. So it's more just let that person be that person and lean into it. Yeah. Very well said. And a perfect lead into the fourth question, which deals with character, which mm -hmm. character should readers care about the most? Yeah. Well, and this is funny because in both of their scenes, they're alone, right? So uh -huh. I mean, not that Marcellus is, is a scene, but I obviously really care about Marcellus because he's an animal and he's telling us he's dying. Mm -hmm. Easy. And then in Toba's, it's like you just feel bad, right? You want to be her friend and you want her to not be lonely. I like Toba too. That's where yeah. it's like, you know, I, I think she's tough. Like yeah, I, I say. like her. I think that she's someone who, if she, if I met her in real life, I would want to be friends with her. Yeah. She has this it factor about her. And I think it's maybe just her, I, I mean, she's kind, right? This, a woman who addresses the sea creatures while she's cleaning. Yes. I want to be friends with that person. Right. And she doesn't <laughs> seem to have an ego or like, you know, no. she's not materialistic. She's really down to earth and having fun. Yeah, she's very grounded. And yeah. I think that you can tell that she has been through adversity and she's still standing. So there's there's a lot, there's like definitely more that meets the eye to her. And I think that that makes me want to learn more about her. So for anyone who takes the time to rescue an octopus who's stuck behind a vending machine, yes, I want to meet you. Right. And even when 
you know, one of the things that's going to, what happens is Marcellus wraps his tentacles around her and the suction cups, put, you know, basically they bruise her arm okay. and her friends make comments about that earlier, but she, while they hurt her, she doesn't even really flinch. Like she's, she almost she's draws scared. back, but she wants to help him. So, you know, definitely there's a reason why, Mar and Marcellus will tell you this. I don't I think it's the next chapter probably, but Marcellus will tell you this, that he doesn't really like humans, but he likes Toba. Yeah. And that's a really unique trick with characters. I mean, not that there, there are many reasons to like Tova, but if you do have a character that is unlikable and you have another character that we like like them, that's actually a trick to yeah. get readers to like them. <laughs> and Marcellus is just, he's just scrappy. I just like him, you know? Yeah, because if we were stuck in a cage, we'd want to be like Marcellus trying to get out and have fun. Mm -hmm. And just his awareness of things, you know, like I, I like that he calls it as it is. I yeah. like people who are direct and that's Marcellus's point of view too, so... I cared yeah. about both of them. For the fifth question, it's about setting. And the question is, where and when does the story take place? Yeah. So for this scene, we're in the aquarium, right? Which I always think about, okay, is the location important in the story? Yes, right? We're going to see more of this. And uh, we already established Marcellus is how Cameron and Toba get brought together. So it makes sense that the opening scene would be here. So it's in its Seoul Bay Aquarium, which I don't know if they state specifically in the first chapters, but it is in the back cover. And I believe this is in Seattle because Cameron travels to Seattle to find Simon. So we'll find all of that in the story, but not necessarily grounded in this. But like exactly what you said, the setting of where they actually are, despite location, is that we are in an aquarium and in the aquarium is where a lot of the relationships that we need to see developed are going to evolve. Yeah. So that's really important. Also, I think it's important that they're near the sea, yeah. that they're in a state that's near the sea and that, you know, also pertains to Eric and what happened to him. Yeah, I think it's also interesting that there's not like a lead up scene into this where we are meeting Tova in her everyday life. And it's not like we're meeting her at her house and she's getting ready for work. And, you know, she's like looking at pictures of her kid that's dead and her husband that's no longer here. Right. We're literally just dropped into her everyday life and there's not a lot of lead up. That's what I love about it, though, because it, you can tell just even because we are grounded in Tova that she thinks of her husband and her son daily. All the time. Right. Yeah. She they are They are constantly on her mind and in her heart, but she doesn't allow that to stop her. Yeah. yeah like that, you know, like that's exactly it. Like they, I think that a lot of writers can go to the place that they want to ground us in the depression. And I get that, you know, like in the Midnight Library, the opening chapter deals with Nora and her house. And I think that you can go there. But what I like so much about Toba is that the setting is, what, again, one of the hook factors, right? So we're seeing her interact with her environment and her very much you understand who she is as a character by her attitude of, I can't just do nothing. Right. Right. So, and you know, something you said earlier, like, I don't remember if you said it or if I said it actually, but it was like, it's an active scene. So we're, the, the advice that writers hear all the time is start with action and like, look at all we're following. She's trying to clean up gum and mm -hmm. she's rescuing an octopus that gets out of the tank. But for a 70 year old woman, this is, is not easy. So yes. like for her, this is impactful action and it's exciting because it's, well, for multiple reasons, but like it's, ex it wouldn't be exciting if it was a 17 year old boy who could easily maneuver and like thought an octopus was super cool and like, you know, wanted to pick it up. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's where the description details, that's where that comes back. And this is more, maybe backwards a little bit and going more to the point of view. But again, we're really zeroed in on what matters to Tova, what her observations are, what Marcellus's observations are. And one thing 
that we do get heavy description on, because if you're going to spend more details on something, it's probably going to have significance later in the plot. One of the descriptions that we really zero in on is this moment where she is cleaning a Pacific sea lion. So the line is, she processed the shallow alcove with its life-size bronze statue of a Pacific sea lion, the sleek spots on its back and bald head, worn smooth from decades of being petted and climbed on by children, only enhance its realism. Mm -hmm. On Tova's mantle at home, there's a photo of Eric perhaps 11 or 12 at the time, grinning wildly as he straddles the statue's back, one hand aloft like he's about to throw a lasso, a sea cowboy. Yeah. So what's really cool about that is that this we zero in on this because this is something, because it's so worn down, it's emphasized that a lot of people might not pay attention to cleaning every inch of it, and Tova always does. And also it connects again back to what's important to her at home, which is this picture of Eric. So it's connecting the two. And right. later, Marcellus is going to hide a key piece of evidence underneath the sea lion. <laughs> so, so that's something that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then so question number six deals with core emotion. The question is, how should readers feel about what's happening? Yeah. So I felt like heavy and I felt sad for both of these characters. I did have hope, though, just because I I know the story is going to take me somewhere, but I want them to have happy endings. So it's so interesting because I didn't necessarily feel somber, but I did feel, I guess like I'm trying to figure out like I, I didn't, I don't get the feeling of like, I feel really sad when they read these pages, but I think a lot of that is because of Tova's attitude. Yeah. But I do think that I, I mean, I don't, I don't know if pity is the right word though. Like I do have sympathy. So maybe I was sad and I just didn't know I was feeling that way. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's almost like you just want them to have a better scenario. Yeah, you do. I mean, that's where it's like, I think I was intrigued. I think yeah. that I felt big feels. I guess that's where I'm going to go. I don't have the right words for what those feelings were, but I felt very much concerned in exactly what you're saying there, that I, I cared about these characters in the way that I wanted them to have a happy ending because I felt like their life wasn't happy right now. Right. And I, and I wanted it to be better for them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So. Yeah. So maybe maybe the word is sad that I'm looking for. Yeah, but... It's like sad with a little hope, I guess. Yeah. But you're also entertained by the way that she kind of manhandles the octopus, right? Like, well, and I think that's maybe maybe that's the thing because the action itself of when Marcellus is stuck behind the vending machine, I think it's like 18 minutes or something that an octopus can actually be out of water. Yeah. But when he's stuck, that that changes my emotion as well. There's an immediacy to it and a danger, a sense of danger. But the majority of the time we're sitting in these internal states that are really drawing us close to their emotions. And then in the moment that she's saving, him there's excitement but when yeah. she does save him there's relief and there's hope because of this friendship that seems to be blossoming and that actually kind of leads us into the next question i'm going to skip ahead which is stakes mm -hmm. why yep. should we care right right and we've been given all the ingredients we need to care if i had to ask what is at stake i mean happiness right or like right. fulfillment um mm -hmm. whole life yeah like, i think i think well-being right yeah. like someone's well-being and then for Marcellus in the first chapter, it's life or death because of what's at stake for him. For Tova, I think it's, you know, purpose maybe. Like it's it's also like kind of what else? Meaning. Yeah, meaning. I think it's it's probably that. It's probably what's her what's her sense of meaning in life? Like what's what's next for her? Right. Yeah. Right now it seems like she's just on a pretty sure fired path towards a retirement home I, eventually, right? And, and that is where we head in the yeah. story. It's the same with Marcellus too, like, because he knows he's only got so many days left. What's he going to do with them? So, yeah. 
Yeah. yeah, I think I think meaning would probably be the best state yeah. that I would put on there. Okay, cool. So I think it's really interesting because I was expecting us to have a lot of different answers because I haven't read it. But it seems like I think this is why we can say the first chapter works because we came to the same conclusions so that it's just a fun exercise for people who are listening. You know, with beta readers, you can even ask them some of these questions and say, like, what did you come up with for my first chapter? If all six of your beta readers say the same thing, you're probably doing a pretty good job. So, okay, so we'll get into the scene structure now. And like Abigail said earlier, we're going to use the story grid slash Robert McKee five commandments to pick that apart. So really, we want to find what's the character's goal, what kind of conflict gets in the way, what tough decision are they going to face? And we'll explain these a little bit more as we get in and then kind of what's the end result or how did things change? So this it's funny because in my head yesterday, I was thinking like, oh, this will be so fun because I'm probably going to get the answer wrong. I don't know the story, but then when I read it, I'm like, this is actually a pretty straightforward scene. So do you want me to run through what I saw and you can just tell me? Sure. Okay. Sounds good. So the goal for Tova in this scene is she wants to clean for her shift, right? That's what she's here to do. She mm -hmm. wants to do a good job and it's simple, which is a great example of because sometimes writers are like, I don't know what my character's goal is. Look at Tova. She's just showing up to her workday trying to clean and yep. she wants to get this specific piece of gum off the floor. And that, I think that's where you, when you get specific, you can really zero in on like a specific goal, not just screening, right. but getting this gum, this stubborn yeah. gum off, right? Yeah. Right when we meet her, this is her main thing. So then the inciting incident I saw was when she's in that break room and she sees an octopus behind the vending machine. So then there's conflict where she starts interacting with him and the turning point, which is the moment where it's like the peak moment of conflict that's eventually going to force her to face a decision. To me, that was when Marcellus shoves the chair and Tovas interprets that as with alarming strength. So mm -hmm. at that point, it's kind of like, well, what do I do? Because she's a little bit scared, um, but she also knows that if she doesn't help him, he's going to die. So that's her crisis. Keep helping or just leave him to his demise. And the climax is she helps. And then the resolution, she frees the octopus and sees him in his tank. Okay. So that's really interesting. I love your breakdown. I can see arguments. It's interesting that your inciting incident is when Marcellus is behind the vending machine. Yeah. And the main action like events happen in that moment. Yeah. So I think when you're when you're deciding what is the main value change, what would, do you think the main value change is for this scene? I think that because she saved him, there's like a trust built or she's moving closer on the side of like, I'm okay with her from Marcellus's point of view. Okay. So I think that's one, definitely one way that you could go. I could see if people were to argue that the inciting incident would be the gum, because if it's this idea of her trying to clean, just, you know, if, she, if she's going in with a goal, if I just want to clean, and then the gum is in particular is what she has to spend a lot of time with. Mm -hmm. And then the turning point could be Marcellus being behind the vending machine and the crisis is what does she do about that? Does she try to rescue him or not? The climax would be her trying and the resolution could be a, a lot about how he actually behaves as she tries yeah. to rescue him. So I could see that as an argument. I also see your argument and that's probably where I lean, even though the inciting incident comes much later in the scene because of yeah. that. I would agree with you. I think that it would go towards the vending machine as the instant because this is truly the unexpected disturbance. Like is gum yeah. big enough of an unexpected disturbance? Probably not. Well, right. oh, yeah. Go ahead. And I think that's interesting because the I kind of got into the weeds on this with myself yesterday is th the first line is Tova Sullivan prepares for battle and then a yellow rubber glove sticks up from her back pocket like a canary's plume as she bends over to size up her enemy chewing mm -hmm. gum. So it's kind of like we meet her and she's already pursuing this goal. 
Yes. So yes. it's how I understood that was it's not necessarily a surprise then if she if we're meeting her as she's doing this. Right. It's uh, more showing. I think what it does is that it establishes Tova as someone who doesn't just take okay or decently right. cleaned as acceptable. Huh. She's going she's going to get her gloves on, she's going to get on her knees and she's going to get this in this stubborn piece of gum that even leaves stains. Like she is going to work on this. And as she's working on that, we're able to see her interacting with the other sea creatures. Right. We also see that Marcellus is in his tank and then later he's out of his tank. <laughs> so that is more the like with the, him being behind the vending machine, that truly is a surprise, right? Because he yeah. was there and now he's what? Like she thinks it's he a sweater fast. at first. Yeah. Right. So he's fast and also he camouflages with everything. Yeah. So when he's stuck behind the vending machine, it's it's this also like probably is a testament to Marcellus's intelligence, but it's almost like he waits for her to see him until he goes out. It's like she thought yeah. I was here, but now I'm a sneaky. Yeah. He's always trying to be sneaky, which is fun. So with the inciting incident with him behind the vending machine, I do think that works for the turning point for me. I probably I could see the pushing the chair with it with great strength because it's scary. I think I landed more on when the tentacles wrapped around her arm and there is a moment of her debating if she continues or not. I was looking for that part because I wanted to see there. There's two parts that I think are like that. So I'll I'll read both of them and then we can decide. Here's the part that I saw, and then we'll look at the part you saw. So at the sound, the octopus slashes again, shoving one of the chairs with alarming force. The chair skids across the room and ricochets off the opposite wall. From under the table, the creature's impossibly clear eye gleams. Determined, Tova creeps closer, trying to steady her shaking hands. How many times has she passed by the plaque under the giant Pacific octopus tank? She can't recall it stating anything about octopuses being dangerous to humans. She's but a foot away. He seems to be shrinking and his color has become pale. So that could also be a turning point that is she's noticing he's become pale. Then she's thinking, does an octopus have teeth? Then she says, my friend, she says softly, I'm going to reach around you, unplug the cord, blah, blah, blah. Uh, So that's that's one option. And I'm going to look to your option. Okay, so she expects him to slink out along the wall toward the door in the direction he's been straining, but instead he slides closer. Like a tawny snake, one of his arms slithers towards her. In seconds, it winds around her forearm, then twists around her elbow and bicep like a maypole ribbon. She can feel each individual sucker clinging to her. Reflexively, she tries to yank her arm away, but the octopus tightens his grip to the point where it's almost uncomfortable. But his strange eye glints playfully like a naughty child's. Empty takeout cartons, misplaced trash, now it makes sense. Then in an instant, he releases her. Tova watches incredulous as he stalks out of the break room, suckering along on the thickest part of each of his eight legs. And then she goes after him and he's nowhere to be seen. (laughs) Right. Well, so and like, I think where I went with that part was because also I know that later the bruises on her arm are something that she has to lie about. Yeah. So I think that's where I went with that. But I think the the physical force now wrapped around her, like, what do you do? And yeah. Uh, and like, so is I this think... going to be good or bad? At the same time, though, what you mentioned, though, a second ago, Savannah, was she notices the pale right. color. I think I actually land on that over the other two. <laughs> yeah. And I would just think that, too, because it, it's kind of like she's that's where she's setting us up to focus. Like, well, now yes. he's become pale. I really have to do something. Yes. So maybe and that's what we'll go with. The cool thing is that no matter which option we just chose, it gets us to the same spot. Yes. And that, I think, is something that's really important to point out, because, again, I like I like to emphasize to writers that this is really great. These are great tools for us to use as writers and as book coaches because and as editors, because it helps us defend 
if there is a change in value in the scene, if something significant happens in the scene that develops characters and advances the plot. But our reader isn't analyzing it to this level, right? right? So are things, are major complications happening that are challenging the main character to make a crisis decision? Because I do think the, deci- the, the combination of the turning point and the crisis is really what changes the value. So if the turning point is going to cause a crisis in some way about whether or not she's going to continue to pursue saving Marcellus or not, right. that's ultimately the the general idea of this, right? right? And that's what causes the value shift. Like we were saying, it brings them together because this this is about their relationship and how it affects each of their lives, right? Yeah. So but anyway, I'm, glad, I'm glad you pulled out the the pale color change because yeah. as soon as you said that, I was like, nope, that's, that's it. That's yeah. Point. Yeah. And that's, it's funny because that speaks to his first chapter, which is like, am I going to live or die? Exactly. For days or whatever. Exactly. And what's cool about that is that it seems like he he understands, unlike people who are afraid of death, like he embraces the inevitability of death without concern, it seems like. It's just a matter of time. But how is he going to live life well during that time? And it stinks if his life is going to be cut short. You know, dying behind a vending machine, right? And the cool thing, I was just thinking if I were to ask myself questions, I'd be thinking, how does this affect the global story? So we said it brings them together, right? Right. And earlier we talked about they both need to kind of find meaning in their last days. So by bringing them together, we're moving them one step closer to being able to have that meaning. And even even Tova's night or day, I think it's night when she's cleaning, but her day has gotten meaning by saving Marcellus. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and it is nighttime. This is something that they're the only people in the aquarium because well Cameron and and Tova because Tova comes to help Cameron a lot. They're the only people in the aquarium and that's where they can have these you know secret interactions with Marcellus which is really cool because it's this conic decision where that changes Marcellus's opinion about this particular human. Right. And through that that friendship borns and through that he's able to make observations that humans often overlook that lead to her new sense of physical and emotional meaning and in, you know, in receptively, she's able to give that back to Marcellus in the end, too. It's like a gift for a gift type of right. thing. Yeah, I think it's pretty cool. Pretty well done. Yeah. Yeah. So I loved the story. It will be interesting to me if you continue reading the story or not. I loved it. I think I highly recommend it. I gave it five stars. It really hit me on a lot of emotional levels, um, which is why I think, again, I probably lean towards the worldview, but there's a lot of arguments that could be made. I think it's a, it's a it's genre blending, but when yeah. it comes down to it, I just really love the characters and the storyline <laughs> and the uniqueness of it. Yeah. Definitely a fun exercise too, like having having not read it. And we're going to do a few more episodes like this where one of us hasn't read the book because I think at some point we're going to find one where the analysis looks very different. But this one just happened to be straightforward, but still fun. And yeah, I want to say I'm probably not going to read it just for the same reason I haven't watched like Marley and Me. I was very traumatized by things like Where the Red Fern Grows and Black Beauty when I was little. Oh, so yeah. Where the Red Fern Grows. Yeah. I never will get that out of my head. And I Marley just, and Me, I finished the climax on an airplane and was bawling. Yeah. Asked to me, we're like, that. what is wrong with you? And- it's like, I well, cannot handle dogs. stuff like that. So I'm, I, I already don't want to know that Marcellus is going to die. I just, well, just know that he is happy before he dies. So, <laughs> but still, I don't know. There's just, it's too close to me for some reason, but I understand. I get yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, this, this was fun. I'm excited to do more of these. I'd love to hear if any listeners have read this or what their analysis was. Savannah and I always love chatting with our listeners and with, you know, other kindred spirit writers. So let us know if, 
you had any different analysis, but until next time, thanks, Savannah. I loved yeah, being here you. with you as always. <laughs> thank you. And yeah, keep us posted, everyone, how you went on your analysis. And we, we want to hear from you. So let us know. Thank you for listening to this episode of Lit Match. You know how much I love these first chapter deep dive analysis. I really loved analyzing remarkably bright creatures, especially since it was one of my favorite reads of last year and is what I would consider book club fiction, which is one of my favorite genres to read. I hope that you had great takeaways. And if you had a different analysis than Savannah and me, I would love to hear about it. Also, if you have a quick minute or two and are looking for ways to support Lit Match, I would so appreciate it if you could rate and review the show on iTunes. This signals to Apple that this podcast matters, and it helps me reach more writers like you who are searching for ways to learn more about the writing process and the publishing industry. I'll be back next week with another episode. This time I'm going to interview an author that I've actually had on the show before. Her name is Jen Craven, and in the last episode that I interviewed her, we actually talked about her experience as a self-published author. And now we're going to talk about how she published her second book with a publisher. So it's really cool to see the comparison from a writer who has hands-on experience both in the self-publishing world and the traditional publishing world. And I cannot wait to share that episode with you. Until next time, happy writing. If you're in the query process, continue to persevere. I know that that can be a grueling place to be. And I want to support you as much as I can in that process. As always, I cannot wait to hear when you sign with your literary agent and celebrate your book when it comes out.